2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter, and then Paul is the writer. Now, in the past, I've always done a pretty long summary about who Paul is, but I've done that now when we did Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So if you want to hear that again, you can go back to any one of those introductions to get Paul's story. I will say here, though, that this letter is written only by Paul, not with other people besides the Holy Spirit. But what I mean by that is you might remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote that with Sosthenes when he introduced, you know, Paul, an apostle, and Sosthenes, our brother, um, he wrote 2 Corinthians with Timothy, and this one he's writing without another person helping him write. Now, the interesting thing with that is he also says things like, see with what large letters I write. We, we read that this morning. He also mentions at one point that he came to them with an illness and that they loved him so much he felt like they would have plucked out their own eyes for him if he had asked them. That's why we think that he was getting some problem with degenerative eyes because he says things like, look at these big letters I'm writing and you would have given your own eyes for me with this illness that I had. Um, so when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, that's why we think that it's probably it was an eye issue going on. But he's writing this by himself. Uh, just some quick background on Galatia. Galatia wasn't a city. It was a Roman province. So there were cities in it. So um, during Paul's first missionary journey, which we had gone through quite a ways now, but Acts 13 and Acts 14, Paul had visited um, Antioch of Pisida, Pisidia and Iconium and Lycaonia and Lystra and Derbe. And even though Galatia is not mentioned there, those cities were all in the province of Galatia. So Paul had gone there during his first missionary journey. Some churches were established. And then on his second missionary journey, Paul and Silas visited them again. During Paul's third missionary journey, he passed through the northern Galatian region and visited different areas. So for Paul's missionary journeys one and two, he had visited these cities in the southern part of Galatia. And his third missionary journey, he went to the north. And I say that because I try to always give you a date for when the letters were written. And it's hard with this one because we don't exactly know when he wrote it. But based on how he writes, so you call that internal evidence, it's clear he's been there before. He talks about being there among them. And when I was with you, I had this illness. And so we know that when he wrote this is after when he was there. But again, was it the north or the south? Because if it was the north, then he would have had to written this much later after his third missionary journey perhaps somewhere around 57 or 58 A.D. But if he was writing this primarily to the southern region, well, he had visited them twice earlier in his career, in his missionary career. Um, so it could have been as early as 40 or, or uh, sorry, 54 or 55 A.D. So not much different. Certainly sometime in the 50s A.D. was when he wrote this. But we're not exactly sure because he doesn't clarify whether he's writing this to all of Galatia or the southern churches he had already established or the northern churches that he visited later. We just don't know. But either what, what we do know from this letter is that sometime after these churches were established, Jewish Christians came in and began teaching that Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. Now that's similar to what we saw happen in Antioch when Paul was there with Barnabas. You might remember Acts 15 
when these Christian Jews came to Antioch saying, these Gentiles must all follow the law of Moses. And that became this big uproar. So Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem for that important council where it was decided once and for all that that's not the case. Um, so it sounds similar to that, but this is a different situation. Now, the method that these Gentile Jews used to try to convince these churches in Galatia that this was the case was to discredit Paul, challenge his concept of the gospel of Christ, and um, charge his doctrine with leading to loose living, meaning that if you just believe that it's faith alone, it's going to cause you to sin all the time. And we get all that based on how he writes in his letter and the kind of arguments he makes, we can get some of those things. And so we've read through this together. What are some of your initial thoughts after having read the whole book? What do you think it's going to be about? What kind of themes do you remember? False prophets, good. Anything else? Legalism, yep. Any other themes that came out? The law, yep. Yeah, so this letter... If you're following along with the notes part, this letter was written in response to a false gospel that is spreading through the churches in Galatia. In this letter, we're going to find Paul demonstrating that his gospel is the same gospel that the other apostles taught, and he will provide a strong defense for justification by faith, not works. And that's why Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of the Reformation. If you follow the story of the Reformation at all with what happened with Luther and with others even before him who were beginning to question some of the teachings in the Catholic Church, but especially with Luther and the 99 Theses and all that, Galatians was pivotal to that. The reading of Galatians in the plain text caused Luther to recognize so clearly. So, for example, Galatians 2.16, we read it, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith and not by works. And the Catholic Church was teaching that justification was by works, by doing things. Specifically, they had this thing called indulgences. So if you sinned, you could pay the church and pay off that sin. And that was sort of like a fundraising campaign they did to uh, raise money. Um, but along with other things, you know, if, you, like, if you've been to Catholic church, if you've been Catholic and you've been part of like confession, they'll say, okay, now say this many, Hail Marys, do this and do that, as a way to sort of like make it right with God. And Luther, reading Galatians, recognized it's only by faith that we're justified, not by anything we can do. And so that's why it's been called the Magna Carta of the Reformation. This, I was telling Lindsay this morning, this may be the most aggressive letter we have from Paul. I don't know if you caught that in this reading this morning, but the, when I read it all through just one time fully, and I didn't do it till last night because I was so busy and I like to usually have more time, but I was reading through it last night. It just struck me how aggressive this tone, he even says at one point, I wish I could come to you with a different tone, the tone he's giving, and we get clues to this. For example, in other letters, we talked about this, when Paul has to confront a church, he usually begins with something positive. And so we've talked about how when we need to confront somebody in love, it's important to first say, here are some good things that you do, but here's this issue you have. It's good to have a positive before you go to a negative. Paul normally does that, but not so in this book. He jumps right in 
and I think it was Morgan who read that, chapter 1, before saying anything like, I, I, I think of you and I pray for you and I praise you. No, he just says right away, I am so shocked. Let's see. He says, uh, I'm amazed. I'm looking for it. There we go. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. He doesn't even begin by saying, like, you have done this good thing. or that. He just says, I cannot believe that you're already giving up on the gospel. And then at the end of the book, he doesn't even end with the normal, um, fam- like, familiar kind of, like, greet so-and-so or we greet you. He ends in verse 17, chapter 6, saying, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. In other words, this better be the last I hear of this. This is an aggressive, confrontational letter. And it's for very good reason. It is imperative that we get the gospel right. Without the right gospel, there's no salvation. There can be plenty of disagreements in churches. We can disagree, for example, about how God's predestination works together with our free will and which came first, the whole chicken and the egg. We can disagree about that. We can disagree about whether we should only baptize believers or whether we should also baptize babies. We can disagree about the end times, whether Revelation is futuristic or whether it was allegorical all about the first century A.D. We can disagree about whether there's going to be a rapture before a literal seven. Like We can have all those disagreements and still be pretty unified as Christians if we have the same gospel. But you cannot have a church that does not agree on the gospel. The gospel is central. This is a hill to die on. If we get the gospel wrong, it's an eternal consequence. And that's why Paul, in other letters, even to Corinth, all right, Corinth was dealing with, what, divisions, lawsuits, immorality, um, all sorts of stuff. Paul had so many things to deal with in that church, and yet he also praised God for them, said nice things about them. They are rich. They are full. Because those are things that Christians might deal with, but they're still saved. And this is just a matter of the the sanctification process of like learning how to follow Christ and understanding what sin is. But if you have the wrong gospel, it's detrimental eternally. So it's very serious. And this Paul is putting a stand here. He's saying this is this has got to stop. And so I would say the purpose statement for the whole book, this whole letter, would be to verify his apostleship and the gospel of justification by faith in Christ. Because he's going to verify the fact that, yes, he did go off on his own after he was called, and he was spending all these years in you know, the Gentile nations. But as far as this accusation that he was teaching a different gospel, no. When he came back to the apostles, he presented his gospel to them. They accepted him as an apostle. It was the same gospel. They agreed. So we'll see that. And this is very important for us today. You know, we have many cults, for example, um, that teach a false gospel. Now, the most easy to think of when you're reading this is Joseph Smith from the Mormon Church. And the reason is because he claims to have gone off into the mountains and seen God and Jesus and seen angels. And he, he claims that angels and God gave him this golden tablet that he translated to the Book of Mormon, which is also called Another testament of jesus christ another gospel of jesus christ and galatians says even if we or an angel bring you another gospel let them be accursed and here joseph smith is going another gospel and they're just like oh okay great and paul said it right here even if an angel gives you another gospel he's accursed 
And so that's the easy approach, is to look at very obvious um, contortions of the gospel. But we also have fa- false gospels where you might not expect it in churches that you, may, that you may think are Christian churches. You have some who believe, for example, that you must work to earn your salvation. Um, and this is a concern that I have about people that are really die-hard free will on the side of free will and on all that, because if you take that far enough to say it's like it's all my decision to, to believe in Christ, often they then also believe that means that I can stop believing in Christ too, so I can be saved, then later on I can choose to not be saved, and that causes many to then struggle whenever they sin. Was this me choosing to not be saved? Does it mean I'm no longer saved because I have this sin that I struggle with? And so it, it ends up leading sometimes to a uh, sort of subconscious workspace salvation where you're thinking you have to be doing something all the time. Did I, did I really believe last time? Did I not believe this time? I sinned again, so does that mean I need to now believe because did my sin mean I'm not a Christian and all that? So there's a concern with taking the, the free will thing too far to where you think you, know, you can lose your salvation and then you're always worried about that because of sins and stuff. So you have that. The, uh, this false gospel where that teaches that you know you have to do something you've got to earn your salvation in some way legalism does this there are many legalistic churches that talk about you've got to be this way you've got to be that way you've got to be this way and it kind of gets you in this mode of like to be pleasing to god i've got to do these things and it leads to that but there's also those who believe that the main problem in our life isn't sin that the main problem of our life is more that we're not happy and so you might hear people preach the gospel and say things like, if you in your life um, feel lonely, if you have this hole in your heart and you just feel sad, um, if you don't have any friends or if you've had a bad family experience, come to God and he can make all those things, he can make you feel better. Or if you struggle with finances or if you struggle with knowing what to do with your life or if you struggle with having vision for the future, come to Christ because he will fulfill all those needs you have. And inadvertently, you have shifted the focus of the message to being no longer about your sin and need for a Savior, but about here are these needs you have in your life and how God can help you with those. And so come to God to get these things for your life. And that's also a false gospel. And so we have to be very clear about what the gospel is. And that's why we have our own Gospel Roots book and our own Gospel Roots class that we do sometimes. We don't want to be hidden at all about what our gospel is. You should be able to know the gospel that this church believes, and it's going to be kind of up to you to decide whether you agree with that or not. You've got your Bible, you've got the Holy Spirit, presumably, if you're a believer, um, and if we're preaching a false gospel, we're certainly not hiding about it, but our gospel is basically that God created us for fellowship with Him, that we were meant for that, but that we chose sin instead, and because of the one man's sin, sin came to all the world, and through sin, death. And therefore, everyone now, everyone who's ever lived has sinned and died, except for Jesus. Everyone else has sinned, and because of their sin, they deserve eternal death, and that we cannot do anything on our own to make it right. There's no such thing as a works-based solution to that. Christ came, who is God. He came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life, never sinned. He did really die. Then he did really raise again, not just metaphorically or spiritually, but really rose again, ascended to heaven, and all we have to do is believe in him to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that is the gospel. And if you disagree, this is the wrong church for you. 
That's the gospel. And it's very important to be clear about that. So we have these false gospels. And Paul, again, this is a hill to die on. You can't have people in the same fellowship not agreeing on what the gospel is. It won't work. And so when we've had in the past discussions, for example, because I consider myself reformed, reformed guys don't consider me reformed often because I don't have the kind of covenantal stuff. And if you, you could ask me about that later. But I consider myself reformed when it comes to my view of how salvation works. And people in our church often aren't that way. They're, um, they don't like the idea of Calvinism, and so they, they like the more free will. And I've said, that's fine. We can see those things differently, but what we can't see differently is that salvation is not by works. So if you want to believe that it's all about free will, and when it says that God chose us, it's only because he knew we'd choose him. As long as you can believe that without having any sense that you've earned your salvation— then I'm fine with it. Because that's the core issue. That's the core biblical issue is we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. And how that happens, we can have discussions about did God choose us or did we first choose him? But what we can't disagree on is that it's not by works. It's not by anything we do. And always remember Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So again, if you're following in the notes, we're saved by grace through faith, not works. So I hope you're as excited as I am for this book. Um, Galatians is a powerful, awesome book. And because we're Protestants, this is a foundational book for us. This is what kind of led to Protestantism, was the study of Romans and the study of Galatians. Um, so important, and I'm hoping to not go through fast, or to not go too fast through this book. There's so many good things in it, and just to end, I want to end with one more verse. My mom read chapter two, and I thought this, these verses are just so unbelievably powerful when you really think about them. Galatians 2, verse 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This part is amazing. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. 